still Kirby. Lovely check. Kirby! Welcome to another episode of Fran Kirby's Fight Club, your one-stop listen for all things Chelsea FCW, and of course, the greatness, the legend that is Fran Kirby. I'm Andre Carlisle, doing a little hosting right now, <laughs> but I am here, of course, with Mariam. Mariam, how are you? I'm doing really good. I mean, I'm glad we returned into the Fran Kirby Fight Club after I threw us into disarray last week. I, I just decided we were shifting, <laughs> but we're back. Um, I actually got to write about her today, which is quite nice. Um, she returned for England, I believe, after 13 months. Uh, cameo appearance against Belgium on Friday, um, which is always great. So feels extra special today. Yeah, absolutely. We we, we had to, we, it was a long internal process. We talked <laughs> about, you know, Shokanuskin Fight Club, or did we stick with Fran Kirby? It was tough. It was tough after the hat trick. They tried to take away from her, I know, by the way. Did you, you know, see that? Yeah. So when I was doing the prep for that report, I saw, and I didn't, I don't know why I didn't bring this up, but I saw that they hadn't like, they'd awarded that as an own goal. And I just thought, that's too crazy. That's not real. Like, and it was on the BBC report. So I never brought it up, but it only dawned on me afterwards that, that there was a, a real situation happening there where they had seen for it to be an own goal. But then I watched it happen and I'm like, that was definitely all her. So I'm glad we won. We we fought hard and they, they gave it back to us. So yeah. It's such a weird situation to try and take that away and then give it back. Oh, no, just kidding. It's like, why'd you take it away in the first mm-hmm. place? I mean, honestly, she also said she touched it, which I mean, we're talking about a player here who bikes to the stadium. Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> What's more trustworthy than that? It's a, <laughs> it's a pretty interesting um, kind of start to your Chelsea career. Bike to work, uh, you know, no dramas or anything. Score a hat trick and then you're off for the ball. Bike back home. Um, that was the real <laughs> reason why I thought we had to shift in terms of the, the podcast name. But <laughs> Fran's back. She's she's back. She's back with us. And, and yeah, it's nice to be back. And, and a good international break for both of them. As you mentioned, Fran Kirby got the start, or not a start, but got an appearance uh, for the Lionesses and Shoka's Nuskin scored again. Scored again. God she damn. scored for Germany, <laughs> which is amazing. So um, in this episode, though, we know Chelsea has no game because of the aforementioned international break. So we are going to talk about Champions League. Uh, the draws are there for the group stages. We're going to talk about those. Maybe talk a little bit about some very whiny Manchester managers, Manchester coaches <laughs> regarding the Champions League. We'll talk about that. May do a slight uh, Villa preview. And then some of you less left some mailbag questions. We'll get into one of them. I'm not looking forward to answer. We'll get oh, no. into that. <laughs> We'll get into that suited up. Okay, so Mariam, have you seen the Champions League groups yet? Yeah, I mean, I I saw it a couple of weeks ago and I looked at it and I thought, it's an interesting mix. I think we always, well, first of all, can I just say no Wolfsburg? That's that's quite nice. We, we're always in the group with Wolfsburg and it's just been like the same fixture every year. It just becomes, you know, that, that scary feeling. But it's nice to have things change around. I mean, we do have Real Madrid again, which um, we recently faced. And, you know, I think, I can't remember if it was that fixture or the fixture afterwards that we went out in the group stages. But apart from that, Paris FC, we know that Abdelina is down there. And, and you know, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about controversial situation down there. But Real Madrid, Paris FC, Hacken, I believe, and 
and Chelsea. It just seems like this is, although a different landscape, it's one that we can navigate through. And I think that the the summer transfer additions and how deep our squad is right now makes it easier to to take on each of those fixtures individually in the different battles that they, they might sort of propose. Yeah, yeah. The Chelsea group is, is interesting, to be honest, especially when you look at the other groups. So I'm just going to run through them real quick. So you have Group A, that's Barcelona, Eintracht, Frankfurt, Rosengar, and Benfica, which is a pretty nice group. You expect Barcelona to get out of that one. The rest, it'll be interesting. Will it be Rosengar? Maybe Eintracht? They've been good. Or Benfica stepping up? They've actually continue to improve, especially since we played them uh, a few years ago uh, in the Champions League group stage. Group B is the one where I have the big question marks because, like, how did this happen? We've got Braun, we got Lyon, we got Slavia, Praha, and St. Poulton. Just, okay, fine. Just get Lyon straight to the group, uh, to the knockout rounds. Okay, fine. You never know. You never know something strange Uh, might happen. It's been known to happen. Not, not with Lyon, not, not in the Champions League. They'll lose a final maybe, but not 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 that group. I, I'd love it, but I don't see it. Um, this next so, group, by the way, Group C is the one I'm excited about. But yeah, yeah, that's Ajax, Bayern, PSG, and Roma. That's exciting. That's really, really exciting. And then as uh, as Mariam mentioned, we got Chelsea, Hawken, Paris FC, and Real Madrid. Real Madrid will not have Caroline Weir more than likely, which is really unfortunate for them. She is super good and that team plays very differently when she's there. I believe she but tore her ACL. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that's just really unfortunate. That's I, I love to watch her play, not against Chelsea for obvious reasons. Uh, but I do love to watch her play. But yeah, so what are you expecting out of this group? Are you expecting Chelsea to top the group? Who do you think will come second if so? I think you have to think about what our ambition is this season. Um, and the reason why we have a deeper squad and why we made all the summer additions is for the Champions League. And I'm not expecting her to like, I'm not expecting Emma Hayes to put out a B team in the WSL just because we were going all in for this. But you can expect a lot of rotation and not every opponent in this team will require, you know, Sam Kerr, Frank Kirby, Millie Bright, um, and Musevich, you know, so it's all about which games you want points off of. But looking at this list, like you mentioned, no Caroline Way for Real Madrid. Uh, looking from international games, we know that a lot of the players that play internationally are made up of this team, and it's it's a difficult tie. It has been difficult for us in the past. We faced them before, and we couldn't. You know, I think there's been a couple of draws. I think the, there was a two-all draw, and there was a nil-nil draw in previous Champions League group stake fixtures. And I just hope that isn't something we try to to carry with us. I think that's maybe been a theme of recent campaigns where there's a lot of trauma not I wouldn't say trauma trauma is a heavy word but you carry a lot of weight um, especially if you've been out in group stages if you've been out in finals if you've been thrashed in finals if you've lost out in semi-finals um, so I'm really hoping that we can get through the Real Madrid fixture now the other two teams I would admit I don't know a lot about um, Hacken that seems like something that we might heavily rotate for um, I think they're already I think they've already played a game. Yeah, they played a game against Paris FC. Am I right in saying that? Yep. So they already they already kind of showed that that even against a team like Paris FC, there are going to be difficulties and issues. So I think that we can get to the top of the group. My question is, or my difficulty is, is whether whether or not we might try to. I'm trying to word this appropriately. Rest players for this <laughs> is it? It's not very ethical and moral, is it? to use this group to rest players for the league. So maybe we don't need to be at the top. Ooh, I think that would be dangerous if, I'm, be, so. if I'm honest. I, yeah. I'm just throwing, you know, Emma hasn't done this before. I don't know why I'm I'm, act, <laughs> I'm being this wild and rogue. I just, I just feel like <laughs> the league this season has been much 
different the same way this Champions League group is. And I'm just a little curious as to how Emma is planning on using all the players and rotating the squad um, and whether some of these fixtures might provide those opportunities. I almost feel like given the player recruitment, given what Emma Hayes has always wanted to do and been open about winning the Champions League, I almost feel it's the exact opposite. I mean, we've won four Mm. consecutive WSL titles and not that you want to say you don't want to win it, but if it comes down to... if you need to rest players. And we'll talk a little bit about this too in terms of international breaks and what they do uh, to players. But if you need to rest players because you see that their loads or wherever they are on their fitness or whatever, you're trying to avoid injury, keep them on a program, you're probably going to choose, you know, maybe a weekend game instead of that midweek game is what I'm mm-hmm. what I'm thinking, especially with Emma's ambition to win the Champions League. This is, in my opinion, a pretty difficult group. I really would have liked to see them spread out a bit more. I think Group C and Group D have a lot of, I mean, we're looking at mm, probably one or two of Bayern, PSG, Roma, Chelsea, Paris FC, or Real Madrid not making it to the knockouts. And the way that these teams have performed recently, I think that'd be a lot. That's kind of intense. Um, This kind of borders a little bit into the argument that we want to talk about later, but I'm going to stick to this Group D situation. Uh, Paris FC is is the team that scares me, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. Linda Caicedo is amazing at Real Madrid, but without Caroline Weir, I really do think that they're at a pretty big disadvantage. You just have to make sure that Linda Caicedo doesn't like go bonkers on you uh, for two games. But I think Paris FC is tough. I saw uh, FB ref every now and then they'll post a list of, of stats, you know, who's like a league leader and what. And they posted shot action, uh, shot creating actions, um, a list of the of the French league so far. The first player, number one, was from Paris FC. Number two, Lyon. Number three, Paris FC. Number four, <laughs> Lyon. So like they are a legit squad. We saw them take out Arsenal. We saw them take out uh, Manchester United as well. That's not a squad to take lightly. Yeah, and I think just as you were talking, I was just I was thinking that's the like you look at the two extremes or whether you use it to rest players or whether you you're going all in, it's risky either way. I don't know why I was I proposed that idea so safely. You are right though; it's it's risky because these are teams that are much further along or at different levels of development. And as you say, because of the restructuring and the expansion, we are now having teams that have different styles styles that are not similar to top European teams that have caused problems like low blocks or even like um, mid blocks. And we know that we've seen, as you said, Manchester United struggled against that, Arsenal struggled against that, and we've struggled against that in the past. Um, that one thing I was looking at while she were talking though is our fixture list. I don't want to go too much into it to a tangent, but it's pretty much games every three days. And you know, it's not so yeah, bad at, at first where it's like 15th November around Madrid, 18th Liverpool, 23rd Paris, 26th Chelsea. And then there's a big break. But when we come back from the break, that's kind of when I'm worried because it's... Did you say the 26th Chelsea? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're playing ourselves. We are playing that's, ourselves. Our squad has, has increased so much that it's the A team versus the B team. The most no, difficult yeah. fixture of all. What's really happening is Leicester City, but that's also, by the way, just as hard because they're doing amazing there. Willie yeah. Kirk is absolutely smashing it. Um, but as I said, there's a bit of a break, but when we come back, it's it's Arsenal, then Hacken, Bristol, Hacken again, Man United, Real Madrid. It's you know it's that phase where the games are coming every three or four days, and that's what this squad is for. Um, but then it becomes very tricky to pick which game. You have to be tactical about that because we haven't always got it right in the past, which game you pick to, to rest your players. Um, and looking at yeah. this fixture list, I don't see a game where I'm like, 
yeah, let's let's think about maybe possibly resting a couple of players. Um, so that's that's the other concern, I think. Yeah, no, that's a big one. And, and to be honest, I think it's really going to depend on health. You know, when do we get Guru back? Can we get Cat Macario in the squad? Like, how how can we? actually have the players available because if we have close enough to full fitness even though there may be some fatigue around the squad rotation isn't been a bit of a problem because as as far as as well as raising the ceiling of the talent we've also raised the floor and so i think even if we have a rotated squad we'll still be able to compete in all of those games but you need to have the players available to put on the pitch and that's the that's the point for me i just need players to get healthy and we'll see what happens um okay Let's talk a little bit about, or did you have anything more to say on that before we move on? No, I think I think we're good to move on. Okay. Let, let's talk about some of the fun uh, stuff with the, with the group stages and some of the teams that did not make it. You mentioned Wolfsburg. We also have to say Arsenal did not make mm-hmm. it. Manchester City did not make mm-hmm. it. Manchester United did not make it. And both Manchester coaches have been a bit cranky about the fact that their teams didn't make it. Skinner has some absolutely ridiculous quotes out there talking about how his team is better than some others that are making it. And I'm like, hey, buddy, you just got here. <laughs> you have not been a perennial Champions League team. First of all, United was created in, what, 2018 as a fully professional side? Literally just qualified for the Champions League qualification round, okay? So, yes, you look at it on the men's side and you qualify, then you're in, right? It's not quite the same case uh, in this league, in this in this tournament. And both have proposed changes because they feel that a lot of players not making it from their teams is a detriment to the tournament itself. I completely disagree. I personally think that you have to tip your cap. You have to like look at what's going on with the other programs and say that, hey, if these teams are beating us, if we can't beat Paris FC, which again, as I said, are very good, then they've earned it. You know, yeah, they, I, they've absolutely earned it. I feel like maybe like I'm like you, I don't really understand what's happening here. You just Your argument is that you lost to a team because you didn't do your homework or they were better than you I think that's meant to be the the aim of the game but it's like I don't think that's a strong argument to say that we're facing really good teams early on we don't want that well that's the whole point how do you challenge yourself how do you learn how do you grow um how do you you know and it's not about it being unfair or not because it's not like it's just happening to the Man United teams it's not just you know it's not a targeted claim at the Manchester teams it's it's, uh, the whole point of this happening is is to have a more expansive competition and more teams are being able to have the opportunity to play in that they really wouldn't be and that also involves more teams getting funding and, and prizes for just even qualifying that we know can change players' lives. Um, I'm looking at some of the quotes here as well. This is Gareth Taylor saying, it's a shame because you lose teams of a good standard who should probably be in the group stage. It's obviously an inclusion thing where everyone has an opportunity, but I think what it does is we tend to lose against better teams. Again, it's just, it's really strange. Um, as you, you know, you were saying, Paris FC are a good team. You don't, you know, they they failed Arsenal and Manchester United and I just think that it's it's more of a it's more indicative and more telling of the team itself and the where they are and maybe that they're not prepared for for this level of competition at, at an earlier stage um, which I think is a whole separate argument if you're not prepared for it you're not prepared for it but I think the idea or excuse that um, it's unfair is just silly because think of it from the flip side um, of the team who's having to also face a different opponent um, or even teams lower down who are coming into the competition because it's expanded and are having to face opponents that are different to what they've been used to um, 
so it's it's not unfair. It's actually fair. It's a pretty level playing ground. Um, it's just different. And I think there's a difference between it being something you haven't experienced before that's harder and and unfamiliar, or something that you think is is that putting you at a disadvantage because those are not the same things. That's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And also, you know, you can look at how Chelsea has had to grow in the Champions League themselves. I mean, we mm-hmm. got what knocked out in the round of 16 by Wolfsburg, knocked out in round of 32 by Wolfsburg. You know, this is 2015-16 and 2016-17. Then ended up making it to a semifinal, knocked out by Wolfsburg again, which goes to your point about glad we don't have to see Wolfsburg uh, this year. But yeah, I mean, you, you just have to earn it. This is this is part of the competition. Now, if their argument was, let's expand the group stage, so maybe we have another group, maybe you have a Europa League where you can, you know, bump up and join the Champions League, similar to the men's competition. I'm here for an argument about that. But to just say because you didn't make it that it, the co- the competition is tainted because you think mm-hmm. you're, you have a, t- a squad that's better than some of the other squads that are still in, that's, to me, that's like a very elitist attitude. And I really, really don't like it from pretty much anybody, but specifically Skinner, who, again, as I will say and reiterate, you just got here. <laughs> you you just well, literally just got here. So don't tell us you're better than some of the teams that have been here. Yeah, so those quotes I read before were, were from Gareth Taylor, but this is from Skinner who said, yeah. you saw how hard we had to work last year to get into a qualifying round, right? It's crazy. Look how far Arsenal went. Look how far Chelsea went. And yet we're still having to work this hard to qualify. Yeah, now that I, I read that, it sounds icky, but it's like they, also, we have to work harder than you. Like, Didn't he just say Arsenal and Chelsea? He didn't say nothing about Manchester United you trying to ride what, like the, what, what Arsenal and Chelsea oh have done in the Champions League and think you you deserve something because of it such Sorry, a weird just, stance it's just they write themselves really but yeah it's I think it's like you know I would be prepared to have the conversation if it was something different where it's like you know we don't have the manpower or there are too many games and we're stretched but they're not even approaching it from that perspective where it's like it's causing a technical um, or a resource issue it's just we're having to work harder than than you um which funnily enough you know is fair we're all working hard so it, the fact the idea that this is unfair or that they're at disadvantage is just actually more walked and backwards yeah it's real silly like i said uh, expand the tournament if you want but changing the format to to make it easier for teams like you know city and united arsenal wolfsburg to get through I mean, Wolfsburg's not, I, I haven't heard, and maybe it's because I don't speak German, but I haven't heard <laughs> anybody from Wolfsburg complaining. Uh, they've been in this competition enough to know that sometimes this happens. If you win your games, you get in the group stage. Sometimes you got to you gotta go through the qualification round and it sucks uh, because you, you would like to just get in. But I kind of like this because you do have to earn it. Like you have to earn the group but, stage in this competition. But also, I do, the only like reason that. why we qualified last year was because, of, as you said, we had to work really hard and then yeah. Barcelona qualified because they'd already won the league. So yep. people think that they had this misconstrued idea that we got in by default or we didn't have to work for it, but we did because the previous year we hadn't, we'd only got to the 16th. So we had to work really hard in the league to make up for that. Um, and yeah, and also manage that with with a deep run in the Champions League in the next campaign. So people think that, you know, using us as an example or even Arsenal as an example is just, I think, a bit weird because it doesn't apply. We had to really work hard to, to get there. And also we had several injuries and we were playing all sorts of weird players in weird positions and we still made it to a semi-final. So what, what can you do? You really can't win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really silly, but... 
Anyway, uh, don't really have to worry about that. I, I do believe that there are changes either proposed or are going to happen. We'll have to recap those ahead of next season, perhaps. But um, hopefully, they don't really alter it because of all this whining from the from the from the English coaches. Because mm-hmm. I, I, it would be a shame. I actually really like the qualification process uh, to get to the group stage. I think it is really it's fun. Gives you Champions League football much earlier than it is on the men's side. And I think with you, you also get to see the progression of certain teams like Paris FC has been great to watch not only because they've frustrated some of the teams I dislike the most (laughs) but uh, they've just been fun to watch and of course because I said publicly that I really appreciate the way they play and I like them of course they're drawn into the group (laughs) oh god no (laughs) okay let's move on let's do a quick preview of Villa we know that we talked about it a little bit but that is Chelsea's next game up they play Aston Villa um coming up what let me see what day is that is saturday november 4th uh trying to do the math i think it's a 1 30 kickoff or maybe no 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 actually i think this it is, is a 12 30 kickoff that's right mm-hmm. you, you uh, suck it the, in. the time change and we don't have it yet over here in the states so yes that is it so i get i don't have to wake up at 7 30 in the morning i can sleep all the way until 8 30 <laughs> to watch this one so i'm excited um but yeah, this is this is this is this is an interesting one. Everybody kind of thought Aston Villa was going to be challenging that maybe top four, maybe breaking into the top three. You know, maybe who knows? You know, given given how some of the like United or City could get their shit together, but Aston Villa has not won a single game. They sit 11th, second from the bottom on the table right now. Four losses in a row. The start to their season was tough in terms of competition, but they also sit at a negative six goal differential. Their defense has been awful. Miriam, what are your thoughts on this match coming after an international break? Well, I think a couple of weeks ago, um, you might recall that Mia was very excited that we were facing Bryson last week. She said it was the perfect opponent. Um, <laughs> and I think I feel this way about Aston Villa coming off the back of an international break. It's the perfect game to have. You're playing against an opponent who um, you know, has not got the confidence, or hasn't been able to hold results in at least four games. Three of those scorelines were pretty close um, against Arsenal, Liverpool. Well, no, not not the first one two of those, I should say, against Arsenal and Manchester United um, didn't score at all in the opening day. And then, of course, his most recent result, I think that was the most telling one. Um, although the other results had seemed there was a bit more sort of, they played a lot more with the, with possession and they looked a lot more confident on the ball, but I just feel like against Spurs, this was the one where I thought they look like they're in trouble. Um, and it's always good to face a team that's slightly in trouble when you're coming back from an international break, especially if you're Chelsea, because whatever seems to happen during an international break, uh, we always struggle more in the beginning of the season, um, more than most teams. So I just feel like this is the right opponent to play at the moment. It does help knowing that Frank Kerb is returning to the team. Um, we know there's a bit more information on Gura Wrighton and her ankle injury is not so severe as we, we first thought it was. And I think kind of also fixtures like this are good in another sense where they allow us to experiment um so although they allow us to to rest players and i've talked about that before they also allow us to to play players in weird places and weird formations um especially if you're in the experimented phase of the season so i'm quite happy we're facing aston villa i'm happy we're facing this aston villa not aston villa from last season because you know a whole different gravy uh really really good players really good attacking setup they they 
worked really hard in their midfield to bring Jordan Nobbs in, which I think really made things a lot more stable. But whatever whatever happened has happened this season, especially in the early early four games, it just seems like um, this is a team that really struggles against high press. They struggle against counter-attacking, transitioning. Um, with the depth of squad, the bench that we have, we, we're just going to keep on bringing players that are at the same calibre. It's not even like you bring on a sub and they're slightly not as good. It's going to be like, you know, take off Sam Kerr, bring on me official, hope you adjust in time, you know. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that this is a good way to, to kick things off again. I think the key point in what you said there is that hopefully we're facing this season's villa and not last season's villa. <laughs> yeah. Because I honestly don't think they're that far away from last season's villa. I think they've obviously struggled to show that on the pitch. I think, and a lot of, a few people have pointed to this as their problem. Kenza Dali has not been in the squad, but apparently mm-hmm. she is close to a return. I would not be surprised if she triumphantly made her return against Chelsea. Uh, but yeah, I've, I'm a little scared. I'm, I am with you. If we get the, the Villa that's all over the place defensively and given how they built their squad, it's not necessarily like in the past when I usually get concerned about games right after an international break because Chelsea basically loses everybody. Like there's like three players at Cobham and that's about it. <laughs> like everybody else is on with their national teams. Villa has a few more, but they have a pretty a pretty good squad too. So a lot of their players, especially key players, are gone in other games. Some are even, you know, across an ocean. You know, I'm thinking about some of the players play for Canada. So like, yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting game. I'm a little concerned about it just because of the international break. And maybe this is a good time to have that little discussion about how an international break kind of messes with a with a club squad. Because um, we see this quite often, men's and women's. I, I, I hate when you come back and have to play a game, especially that early kickoff on a Saturday. I wish they would stop doing that after an international break. It is just not enough rest, but... Nobody ever wants to listen to the players, coaches, or anybody else talking about the the repetitiveness of games and how many players have. But regardless, uh, Marion, your thoughts on just the international break and why it's so difficult for clubs to kind of keep players healthy and fit throughout, you know, this just the travel of international play as well. Actually, as you were speaking, I was thinking of that famous Wayne Rooney story where he talks about having to eat pasta at like 11 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning. He's really tired yeah. and they're like forcing themselves to eat. Um, I, that's probably not the, you know, with how much we progress with sports physiology and all sorts of nutritionist stuff, it's probably not the case anymore where people are eating pasta at 10 o'clock in the morning. But um, I, I just feel like the whole thing about a 12.30 start in the morning um, is that you're having to really think more about what you're doing the night before. You don't necessarily have the sort of the morning to process things. You're going straight into the environment of a game day. There's no transition in which you can slowly acclimatize to things. And I think that has a real effect on your mental health and your sort of psychological outlook. Um, more than that, though, and we spoke about this a little bit off air, I read an article somewhere for the life of me, I can't think where it was from. Um, I will look afterwards, but it talked about how a big issue with international breaks is that because you have players from a lot of different countries traveling and moving in different patterns, um, it's really hard to get them all synced up on a uh, either a training program or whether it's like just drills and practice, or even if you're about to learn like a new formation or a new move for a specific game. And I think it's even harder when you have a deeper squad um, and 
you know, even more harder when it's an interchangeable squad, when the players are versatile and you're expecting them to play in different positions and, and move around a lot more with, with possession. So I think you see it of bigger teams. And one other example I can think of on the men's side is actually the Liverpool team. It literally happens all the time. We'll come back from an international break. Um, this is the men's team, by the way. And we always at the early kickoffs. It's always 12.30 a.m. Uh, p.m. And you can see that whatever the issue there is not, like the players aren't aligned and there's probably a stat out there or somebody who knows how many defeats we've had for those early kickoffs but I think it's when you have a bigger squad it's just that much harder to acclimatize things I think this is becoming more of an issue for Chelsea because that's the situation now you get more players the squad is deeper um, there are more players to to learn with and to teach and I think if you combine all of that with the air mileage and um, all of the other factors if you're traveling away and I think it just becomes more and more difficult um, I watched this video I don't know if it was from a documentary it was a clip on Twitter of Emma Hayes who was talking to her players and and she starts off with you know, a couple of Chelsea players. She's been really harsh and strict with them. And I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. She says something like, do your job or I'll find someone who can. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's super intense. <laughs> and like, you know, in your face and, and you know, she's being harsh with them. And then you see her with a, another couple of players just sort of completely different. And I think that is quite difficult to do. You've got to be really good. And obviously Emma Hayes is really good at what she does, but I just think it's just another another element. Um, you know, there might be, it might be a combination of reasons. It might be something else, but I just think that it's really, really tough in ways that we don't really appreciate. Yeah. I mean, I think the the stuff that we don't see, you know, the, mm-hmm. the match, we, we see the team match days, but Chelsea is so robust in terms of their training programs. As you mentioned, the sports science, the physiology of it, you know, how to avoid injuries, the exercises they, that they do, the rest that's required, the nutrition that's required. Everybody's on a program, multiple programs, right? This is, this is what kind of makes the elite professional athletes now. And I think when you have a long break or something that disrupts that, like an international break, all that stuff gets, gets thrown off. You know, you have to, and you have to find out <clears throat> how the player comes back in what form. How much did they run? How much fitness do they have? Are they now, when you maybe sent them away and they were fully fit, now are they teetering near an injury or something like mm-hmm. that because of use? It's kind of like when we had the first international break and Jesse Fleming, Khadija Buchanan, and Ashley Lawrence all went to play for Canada. They had to fly basically not, not just to North America. They had to fly all the way across to the West Coast of North America, play a couple games. And then Canada's manager, Bev Priestman, did us no favors by basically playing all three of them about 90 minutes in back-to-back games. I think Jesse Fleming was subbed in like the 80, past the, uh, near or past the 80th minute. And they came back and Emma Hayes was just like, I can't play y'all. Like <laughs> It's too early to kind of like throw you out there right now. So they've had a slower start to the season. And that's why we've kind of seen the fits and starts into them in the lineup. So I think it throws everything off um, when you have an international break, given how you're trying to take care of players and keep them at their physical best throughout a very long season and multiple very intense competitions on the club side. So yeah, it, it's a lot. Um, anything else to say about that before we move to these mailbag questions, which are somewhat fun <laughs> and kind of silly? No, I'm, I'm ready to move on to the mailbag questions. All right. All right. Let's let's start with um, we've got one. I, I don't even you know what? I should look to see who this one was from, but it, it mentions the broadcasters with low camera angles. 
I believe they're very much talking about that uh, the game versus Brighton mm-hmm. at King's Meadow, where the camera angle was just the absolute worst. And then the camera person had a few drinks, perhaps, and things were just wonky and strange. And so Monty Gibbon uh, on, on Twitter. Um, yeah, thoughts on that. Luckily, we don't get that too often anymore, but that was bad. The funny thing is, like, we've had issues with the FA player all, like, the last couple of seasons. It's it's usually been yeah. because you, you literally can't see what's like it's so much static you can't see what's happening like you know there's been a couple of games where you're just squinting staring at the screen but I don't think I've ever seen a game like with those camera angles and the the other thing is that I didn't actually see that game when I watched the game back because I was like you know it can't be that bad it was that bad I felt sick (laughs) I felt like I was on a ship (laughs) and you know I was feeling seasick just watching it it was really awful Um, and I think it baffles me because this is the WSL. This is the highest level of professional football in in England on on the women's level. And still we're just having to put up with broadcasting that's just really subpar and not fair to the level of audience that's interested. How can we increase the viewership if this is what we're putting out? Um, It's almost like it's funny because it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I think for me, the thing has been like the shaky camera is not something that happens too much like anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think more so the camera angles that you get at certain stadiums, especially ones that aren't really used to having like, maybe they don't have like Premier League games playing in them. So they don't have the camera setups that a Premier League team uh, club has to have. I think even in normal sense instances, when the camera pans right or left wide, you still get a blockage of view. (laughs) You know, you still see something in the way of a full view. And this happens at a couple grounds. And so for me, I just think it's really worth investing in the infrastructure that alleviates that. Don't know if you have to build something higher so that you can have a more high powered cameras as well so that you can keep the crisp quality and follow it end to end without any obstructed views. But that's kind of like basic stuff. And I know that Chelsea has talked about, you know, upgrading uh, and renovating um, uh, King's Meadow a bit since it is the home. I don't know if, especially given what we saw with the attendance at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season, um, I doubt they'll be there at like permanently. I don't think that's going to happen. And I honestly think that some supporters and players probably wouldn't want that anyway. Kings Meadow feels like a home. It feels like a bit of a fortress at times as well. Uh, But it's just the camera angle needs to improve. And I do hope that they invest in that um, and some other clubs around the WSL, um, some other grounds around the WSL, because it does get a bit wonky. Yeah, I do feel like this is an issue with smaller grounds as well, which you get to WSL and most grounds are fairly, fairly small. And there's been a couple in the men's side where you know maybe like just listing off the top of my head Fulham maybe um you know where you go and you can sense the camera angle is different because it's a smaller ground but because the ground is smaller they haven't compensated for that in wherever the camera is or where they they're getting their footage from um they just it's just in the same place it would be for for most football stadiums and I just think if you've got a smaller ground you need to try to maximize the space you have it seems like common sense really but um I also know that it's incredibly difficult to to get yourself in a place where you can film things because most broadcasters don't have that choice they're just told what to do or where to be um and sometimes just receive the footage so I don't I don't really know how it works but I just feel like if you are you know the FA for as I said, top-level professional football or women's football in this country, we really shouldn't have to settle for that. And it's really not asking a lot. Like, just just don't make it so wonky. Let me be able to watch my football in some semblance of peace. It's really not asking for a lot. I just, I just feel like it's, you know, it's the bare minimum. 
Yeah, over here in the States, we're, we're looking at another, the, the TV contracts for uh, the NWSL are up after this season. And apparently there's more, um, there, there, are some, there are some things that are happening in t- apparently behind the scenes in terms of a new contract being agreed. I don't know exactly who it's going to be with or what, but one point of emphasis has been just quality of the broadcast. Yeah, it, the players deserve it. The fans deserve it. And it has to look professional and be professional. Doesn't matter. If it's, you know, two bottom table clubs, you know, playing one another, it still needs to be crisp. It still needs to be produced well. And that's kind of what I'm hoping happens both in the NWSL and the WSL because the players deserve it. The product deserves it. And, uh, you know, it's going to be 2024 quite soon. Probably should have had this done already, (laughs) but let's not go into 2024 with these types of issues. Um, Okay, let's move on to the next one. The next one is from Vince Wright. Uh, I'm just going to read the whole thing. It says, with Christine Sinclair retiring from international football with over 300 caps and 190 goals, which, by the way, is the record for men's and women's. So if anybody asks you who has the most goals internationally, the answer is Mm -hmm. Christine Sinclair. Yes, she's a woman. Uh, It brings into focus the length of professional careers and how teams manage the transition between generations. How do you foresee Emma managing Mayor Mielda, Sophie Engel, Fran Kirby, Millie Bright, and Sam Kerr? Interesting question. It's a very interesting question. And especially, again, keep going back to the same point, but with the depth of squad we have, um, I think you have the privilege, I should say, to be able to to give those players more and more rest time. Um, kind of reminds me, again, back to the Fran Kirby piece I was writing today, and she talked about being one of the oldest players in the England squad. And she said, she's talking about returning from injury where she was like, I know what I'm doing already because I'm one of the oldest players here. And that is kind of the perfect insight into how Emma Hayes manages that. I think the older you get, um, it's, you know, it's obviously cliche, the older you get, the more experience you get. But I think it also, um, you also kind of learn a lot about your body and your mind and how that is in relation to to how you play and your manager becomes so much more in tune. Again, speaking of Kirby, we know how well her relationship is with Emma. There are times where I think there was a quote where Emma was saying she would know how Fran Kirby was feeling just by looking at her face. Um, so you would know. And I think you get you develop a better understanding with how much you can do and how much you can't do. Um, and I think a big way that we're going to have to learn that is going to be maybe slightly upsetting ways with Sam Kerr. Sam Kerr, who plays everything, flies everywhere, does everything. Um, how do you adjust to that from that extreme down to someone who needs more rest time with Mia Fischel coming through, Aggie Beaver-Jones coming through the ranks, um, not even playing a top, uh, a striker up top and playing a false nine. Um, you find different ways. And I know that Emma is capable of doing that just because we talk so much about her rotation, her experimentation. She has she has harvested, I don't know if that's the right term, recruited or scouted. <laughs> harvested. God. Harvested. Has, We're growing them at college. That's what we do. <laughs> Well, it seems that way. She scouted players who she knows are versatile on purpose. She talks about the profile, the tactical profile. That reason is is so that that pl- player can play in as many positions as possible so that whatever happens elsewhere, they can play in multiple positions. And I think this is a future outlook. It's smart. We're thinking again how we manage the next generation. So for whatever reason, you know, those players mentioned, they're getting older, they get more injured, they're not around so much. We have this new crop of players coming through who are multidimensional, they're versatile, they're, you know, fluid and seamless in formations. And I think that's kind of how you balance that out. Because when when players like Fran reach the age they're at and Sam Kerr grows up, um, grows older, I should say, and 
they'll just know where they fit in. They'll know their body. They'll know how much they play, how much they can't. So I think it's less about Emma figuring it out and it's more that it's a collaborative process um, and and also a process that you just become more acutely aware of. And, uh, you know, it's it's we all grow older. We will start to realize we're old when our knees stop functioning in the morning, although I'm 24 and I feel like my knees do that anyway. Um it's it's kind of like it's a process um and we already seen emma kind of do it with players like Anne Catherine Berger, uh Magda Eriksson before she left you could you could even say like consider Melly Loipot's pregnancy and how she phased her out how she returned her back in like you know Loipot's was out for a whole season but we didn't sign her back up she came back in eventually so I trust in Emma that whatever happens she'll know we should trust everything that she's done with Fran as a template for what's going to come next, I think. Yeah, I think that's a really good answer to that. I mean, I, I especially like you highlighting the, like Fran Kirby and Magda as well. I think those are two very different scenarios. It's where I do think it can be kind of brutal. Like I, I do believe Magda deserved a, a bit of a different end, but also I can understand why Emma kind of had to make that decision. It's a very difficult decision, especially when, you know, these, the, the players, the coaches, everybody, they're around the team and one another a lot, <laughs> way, way more throughout a year than probably their own families. In fact, I'll say definitely their own families. Like the, the team really becomes tight, but when you have a different aim in mind, you always have to have that. And I, I think for me, it's all about the communication and letting players know um, their roles. Like you mentioned with young players coming in, it's very, very important that they know how to do multiple things as well so that they can step in thinking of what Neve Charles, right? We've talked about her quite a bit. Mm -hmm. It's been, it was rough for her at the beginning. She played multiple positions. She settled down to about left back or some sort of left wing back, <laughs> left back, depending on the formation. But she's been really good this season and it's been a lot of trust in her as well. Uh, and now she's being picked over players like maybe Ashley Lawrence, maybe Eve Perisay. So, you know, I do think that you do have to get that. You know, it's about the culture that you build within the squad. And I do think there's a massive difference in transitioning a team from like dealing with a newer generation coming in, which is kind of where like on the club level, we had to do it. You have to, one, grow the size of the squad two get younger, get more talented players in there. So again, you raise talent floor and ceiling. Um, but for me, there's also a big difference in how you do it on like the national team side too, because I think about the US and what they're going through. That team is stuck, has been stuck in a transition period for years now. And you can't be slow with it. You know, the club club football affords you multiple competitions, especially at a club like Chelsea. You can have so many games in one season. Obviously, league, you're going to meet two cups. You're going to be in the Champions League. Like You're going to have multiple competitions to be able to make this happen. Going to need to rotate. Going to need to rely on players. Even as much as the US Women's National Team, as many games as they play, still nowhere near a club season, right? So you just have to do it on a more accelerated level. And they have failed at doing that over the past few years. And I think that's why you see the difference in kind of like how it is different from club versus national team. So I, I think you're right. I like the way that Emma does it. Um, I Again, some decisions are very difficult. I don't know if I would have been bold enough to get rid of um, Magda and Pernilla at mm -hmm. the same time. That's rough. Yeah. Macario coming in helps in one phase of that, but we're still kind of looking for that 
partner next to Millie Bright, who's going to be as consistent. You know, we thought it was going to be Buchanan. Hasn't been. Kind of been Jess Carter this season. Is that long term or not? And then what happens to Buchanan? You know, it still creates a problem that we have yet to solve. But it was a move that I think I can identify more reasons to make it than reasons not to make it. And I just wouldn't have been bold enough to make it. But that's why Emma's coach and I talk on a, into a microphone on a podcast. <laughs> no, I, th- I think you're right in, in just the idea that we haven't like thought about how it works with individual players. I mean, we'll we'll be talking about Beth England maybe for the rest of our lives. Probably be taking that secret to yeah, to a grave and how that situation was managed. But then it's like you said, it just compares. Each player is different, and there's going to be things we don't know about. Um, you know, there was a reason why Lloyd Poults wasn't hired. Uh, was we didn't find a replacement for her. She came back a whole season later. But there was a reason why Beth England just couldn't fit into things. There was a reason why Magda had to leave. Um, Everything is about elevating in a different level. And it's just unfortunate that on a player level, there's going to be people who miss out, people who just don't make the cut. But we have to understand that there is a harshness to it. It can't kind of all be soft. And we know Emma Hayes is harsh because we've seen her do it. We've seen her be that way. But at the same time, you have this other side where players are growing and learning and there's new opportunities that maybe she wouldn't previously have given. I think we've spoken in the past about players who just, same players, same formation, same issues. She would stick with those players. But I think now we can say that's not the case anymore. She trials new things. She plays new new opportunities. She includes new players that otherwise wouldn't get the chance. Um, and so we just had to keep putting our faith in her. I think that's really the only way forward. Yeah. And like I said, definitely some growing pains, as you mentioned. Uh, the Bethany England one will always hurt our hearts because we love Bethany England and especially her going to Spurs is mm-hmm. rough. But I mean, it's tough. Does she Did she deserve the starting job? Sure. Absolutely. But over Sam Kerr, well, now you have a problem, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and is she getting the games that she the needs? Most. Right, exactly. So it is difficult, but I kind of like where the squad is right now. And I love seeing Aggie Beaver-Jones get her first senior goal. Like, I just want to continue to see Chelsea have a lot of promising young players in their their academy and on loan with other teams um, and some with the team like Aggie Beaver-Jones. So I'm kind of excited to see what this new generation is because in order to make it sustainable, you can't always raid the transfer market, though I will endlessly thank Emma Hayes for the work that she did uh, this this summer in this transfer market. I mean, Shoka Nuskin, Ashley Lawrence, Katarina Macario, like all players that I just absolutely love. But yeah, I, I also, me official, can't leave her out. Um, players that I absolutely love. But yeah, you you also want to build something sustainable. And that means, you know, doing it not solely through the transfer window. Um, so, and I think we're starting to see quite a bit of that. Um, and I like the players like Mary Milda and Sophie Engel are still around and still playing a role within the teams. Even though I don't know if we would have thought we'd be relying on Sophie Engel <laughs> as much. <laughs> But okay. Um, all right. Now here's the question that we have to get to that I didn't want to. This, this is the one I wanted to avoid. Ah, this joke will never die. It will never end. I don't know why it persists, but PHFC. Yes, yes. Ask. I feel like Andre being taller than Wimby should have a segment on the podcast. If you don't know who Wimby is, Victor Wimbenyama. Mariam covers the NBA a little bit. You tell the people who this absolute genetic freak is that I'm being compared to. <laughs> I think the only way to ask 
for me to feel fulfilled in asking and answering this question is for you to stand up because I can see you <laughs> and see how tall you truly are. I mean, like how how tall are you? What what is it? This is the thing. I'm not tall. I'm like six one. That's it. <laughs> it's it's tall. It's tall. Is it? To to for for the listeners, if you don't pay attention to the NBA. Victor Wimbanyama was the first. Uh, he was the number one draft he pick over this seven season. Foot though, isn't he? he is massive. He's seven foot four, but that's not like we've we've had seven footers in the NBA. It's before. the wingspan. He's, it's that's he's the, like, yeah, the thing. He's just nineteen. Correct. Yes, he's from what? He's from France. This dude is built like nobody I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, I feel like he could hug a bus. I mean, it is ridiculous. His wingspan is outrageous. He is extremely long, but he's also very athletic. He's wild to watch. It doesn't look real when you watch him play basketball because you're like, that shouldn't exist. Like that lady on the plane, that, that <laughs> he's not real. That's how I feel when I see him play. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Got to change the channel. That's not a real thing. But again, I am like over a foot shorter than this dude. <laughs> For some reason, the height jokes will not. What it is, the genesis of this is that some people saw me because I was at some NWSL, the NWSL championship thing, I think in 2021. And for some reason, everybody thought I was going to be short. I don't know why. I don't know what kind of energy I give off when I tweet, but people thought I was going to be pretty short. I show up and I'm six foot, six one, and people are like, oh my God, you're so tall. And now that's a joke that will not die. Again, 2021. I think just like <laughs> the fact that you're being compared to a, a generational phenomenon, I think that that's just because <laughs> people people are seeing like like this much of you on a screen or even like if they right. are seeing you on a screen and then and then suddenly you stand up and they're having to crane their necks in, in ways that they probably never stretched their necks before um and it's just you know what's funny is that because of this so this started out with people be like like oh my god I didn't realize you were that tall and now when i see people that meet me for the first time they're like you're not that tall and i'm like i know <laughs> It's, like it's, you, both ways it's just you know you, you get hurt in the process i wonder maybe yeah. maybe it's not you maybe it's just that a large proportion of the people listening and your friends are are short maybe we're the people you know my people the the short people the, the five foot <laughs> fours to five foot eights i think you're well, just yeah you're just this is also part of the problem it's a soccer crew right and and most <laughs> soccer players are pretty short i mean Lionel messi he's tiny you know most players like fran kirby she shows fran kirby like five one like so most small. soccer players are pretty short and so i stand out among soccer players sure <laughs> but i'm not a giant i promise <laughs> we might have to you know we can't confirm anything we have to get a measuring tape and and compare some things you know we don't call up to it all. call up the san antonio spurs and let them know that there's another victor and arm out there in the world <laughs> they'll be so disappointed he's not the only I one play basketball at he all. thought he was special <laughs> he did not meet andre i mean i wish i could I'd, I'd love to play in the nba for one season like sign a contract get the money sign for one season and then retire that's how i would how, do my how NBA many career. how many points do you think you could get in a, how many baskets do you think you could get in a game? Um, me now, currently, as I exist. Yeah, right I mean, now. you're a tall dude. You're built for the NBA. Zero, zero. Not even. I'd be, I'd be the most embarrassing player to have ever stepped on a court. Yes, it would be awful. I recently, I recently awful. got in trouble with a few people because I said that um, I think I could score. I forgot what the question was, but I said I think I could score quite a few points through fouls, just because I'm, I'm, because I'm sure no, I've got the elbows going for me. Right, this, this is my plan. Elbows in, <laughs> get your tactical fouls, free throws. 
without being contested, I used to play basketball and this really upset some people. So, um, well, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that upsets because here's the problem. They're not going to have to foul you. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem. Get the elbows in. Elbows, feet, hands. They're not going to have to foul you at all. Boy, no, they, no. They are unreal athletes. I Maybe know. if we were talking about like the 90s, perhaps, perhaps. but nowadays I would not want to be on the court with anybody out there. They are absolutely unreal. No. It's, it's, I urge everybody. First of all, I'm part of the Go to Games campaign for like women's soccer. So like, yes, go to as many women's soccer games as you can. But if the NBA happens to be anywhere near you, go to a game. Because I, my first experience, I saw, I've seen LeBron James play once. I was not even like courtside or anything. It was kind of like mid-level. And I was like, that dude is ridiculous. He's built like a tank and he moves faster than everybody else. It shouldn't exist. But like everybody out there is just absolutely outrageous in terms of their level of athleticism and physicality. And just no way. Just absolutely no way. No. Zero points for me and negative zero points for you as well. Negative zero. <laughs> I, do yes, not, I do not accept this. I, I hope that if there's any NBA people listening to this podcast, they would reach out and and besmirch Andre for his ins- his insults <laughs> negative points god um, just, I don't, I don't want us to end this episode on that sour note <laughs> <laughs> all right then I, I'll, I'll do this well well thank you for listening to Frank Kirby's Fight Club this is me Andre Carlisle who would never score a point in an NBA game and um 20 points a game in the waiting, uh, Mariam over here, <laughs> NBA baller, just waiting to be discovered, joins me on this podcast. I thank her so much for her time and, and sacrificing millions to bring you this podcast. Mm-hmm.